We are going to try to hit, uh, we hit Ephesus last week. So we're going to try to get through the remaining six churches tonight. How does that sound? Yeah. Ambitious. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, uh, yeah, hour. Sure. Uh, that's Paige having a lot of confidence in my uh, ability spiritual. It's wonderful. Hey, somebody start off. Tell me what what do you what do you remember that we've talked about so far about the Book of Revelation? It's written by John. Written by John. <laughs> okay. There's a lot of theories. <laughs> a lot of th lot of theories. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it was a vision that he received when he was in Patmos. Yeah, vis vision, vision he received. Yeah. And maybe in Ephesus yeah. as well. But metaphors. <laughs> yeah. Here's what I'd like to do tonight. Um, I would like to read, like what we'll do is we'll start, we'll have somebody read the letter to Smyrna, and then we'll talk a little bit about that letter, and then we'll we'll go from there. How does that sound? Sound okay? All right. Um, letters of Smyrna. I, one of the commentaries I read this week titled this one, Martyrs for Jesus. So will somebody read for us uh, verses 8 through 11 in Revelation chapter 2? Would somebody read that for us tonight? To the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you your I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. <laughs> Okay, so um, what words stood out as you read or heard and heard her Nicola read for us? Did anything stand out for you? Bad wind is coming. Okay, all right, yeah. <laughs> no fear. <laughs> no fear. That phrase "Church of Satan" stood out to me, right? Uh, mm. Yeah, twice. So it repeats itself, right? So he says it twice. One of the main ideas for the this passage is that the followers of Jesus will face opposition. Uh, some of us may even face martyrdom. We'll, we'll face those because of the sake of the gospel. The promise of Christ is our ultimate deliverance and our eternal life. As I was studying, um, I ran across this, this uh, quote. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Have you ever heard that before? Yes. Yes. Okay. Sit in the room. If you shake your head up and down, that's yes. Or if you go this way, it's no, right? Tertullian, about 81. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Tertullian, around uh, 8167. They actually think the original quote was, we multiply whenever we are moved by you. The blood of Christians is the seed. Hmm. I also read that uh, in 2022, there were 5,898 recorded martyrs for being a Christian uh, around the world. Not all those were killed, persecuted, but recorded 5,898. <clears throat> it also said in this article, uh, this is from Open Doors. It's a world watch list about martyrs. One in seven global Christians suffer significant persecution for their faith in 2021. Global Christians, one in seven. Every day in 2021, more than 16 believers were killed for following Jesus. What do you think about that? 
that it was going on in the past and it's still going on now. All right, Emily, yeah. <laughs> All right, good meeting, everybody. <laughs> George said his phone to work, it's like seven o'clock. So <laughs> John, we we know that at least for another um another century this went on in Smyrna. Uh, one of the most famous bishops of church history is a, a guy named Polycarp, and he was executed in Smyrna yeah. in about 150 A.D. Uh, yeah, about 60 years after uh, John wrote this letter to uh, Smyrna, right? He was uh, said to be a disciple of John, but he was arrested, quickly tried, martyred. He was burned at the stake, and then just to make sure that he died, they stabbed him a bunch of times just to make sure he had died. The thing that was interesting to me is that this this wasn't a, a temporary thing for them. This went on for another seven decades, at least. Yeah. At least, right. We, we recognize some great things through this. Verse 8, uh, we recognize that Christ is characterized by his deity and re resurrection power. We recognize just some beautiful things about who Jesus is. He's the eternal God. He's the resurrected Lord. We know through this that uh, this church needed encouragement. It was being persecuted. They were suffering. And we know that things were just going to get worse. I think Nicola said a, a bad wind is coming. Is that what she said? Uh, yeah. He wanted to encourage this church. So one of the things that we want to look at tonight and be thinking about all the way into Sunday, as Pastor Allen preached on Sunday, why would why would we be given this letter? Why do we have this bit of information? We recognize in verses 9 and 10 that the church is commended for its faith and its perseverance. Because when it happens and has happened over the over time that that we remember that we're we're not alone, that this is ongoing. Yes. <laughs> And Smyrna Emily, wanna... was a lot of contrast. They were sort of the, the they were called the temple warden of the Roman emperor cult. And so a lot of the persecution had to do with, um, we don't want you to rock the boat. We're going to cancel you violently with martyrdom because... We want to keep this Roman favor. We want to, we want to, we want to have a, a, a culture of tolerance and uh, and everybody get along and we'll just worship the Romans. We don't have any room for this uh, this crazy cult of Christianity. And it was possible that the contrast between those two was a lot of the persecution. Yeah, I think that uh, I was reading uh, Keller's book about uh, uh, Reason for God. And he had it once written about 20 years ago. And he was saying what a strong thing Christian movement was going in the universities in America. Then, I don't think yeah. that how rapidly that's done a 180. I, I don't <laughs> think you could find in the, in the uh, professors and such at most universities, 25% uh, of the people, as he thought 20 years ago, were strong, were Christians. They yeah. tried to raise a lawsuit against the Auburn movement where all those kids were baptized um, two weeks ago. Right. Uh, as soon as the celebration died down, they got sued. I think John 14.6 uh, could be a, an offense at some point. Uh, right. We we also read <clears throat> verses ten and eleven that we receive a crown for our faith. Mm. I think the, what was read was a, a victor's crown of life. And I just I just marked down. We read about crowns um, throughout different parts of Scripture. The crown of life in this passage, Revelation. Uh, James also talks about the crown of life, crown of righteousness in Second Timothy, crown of glory in First Peter. 
crown of gold in Revelation 4, crown of rejoicing in 1 Thessalonians, and uh, crown of incorruption. And for each, in some way, I read that they draw attention to the blessings that are ours in Christ. The encouragement that he gave this church. That we Even now, we are going to face persecution. We might not face death. And we don't experience that here in the United States right now. We really don't. Um, I had a friend that, that's uh, up at the church. I came from Illinois. He called me this morning. He said, I didn't even remember that see what the poll was going on today. He's a worship leader. He said, my, my wife called and says there were seven people standing outside in front of the flagpole at the school. And we don't we don't hear about anymore just the great movement of kids that just gathered around and prayed for their school and encouraged each other at a day of see what the poll. Um, maybe some of them were afraid. But he reminds us that uh, we are, we are going to face opposition for the sake of the gospel. But we stay strong to that. The promise of Christ being our ultimate deliverance and our eternal life is just incredibly important that we can just lean on that. That's important for us to remember. All of these, he who has an ear, let him hear. Not just back then, but let us hear now. Right, what he's saying in all of these. And as Alan mentioned, 60 years after he wrote, Polycarp was arrested, tried, and martyred for his faith. So this is something that, that this group needed that encouragement because they were going to be affected by what was happening. We can praise God that that's not happening now here. I wonder if it will at some point. The church at Pergamum. Would somebody read these verses for us? I will. Write to the angel of the church in Pergamum. Thus says the one who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan's throne is. Yet you are holding on to my name and did not deny your faith in me. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death among you, where Satan lives. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites, to eat meat, sacrifice to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. In the same way, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So repent. Otherwise, I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. Crystal clear, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No question. <laughs> we can easily understand what he's saying. Uh, one of the ideas for this church, as we talk about it, is the believers in churches are going to constantly be tempted to compromise, both in our theology, um, in our ethics. Right? We're going to be tempted to compromise. But as followers of Christ, we must remain faithful to the work that Christ has given us. Uh, we're going to be tempted to compromise. Do you think the church, do you think the great danger of the church is from the outside or from people on the inside? Do you know how much division there has been, you know, starting with what we had here in the early 90s in this church, as a matter of fact? Every denomination has had a split in the last 20 years that I know of. You know, Romans uh, 16 talks about mark those that cause division. Okay, it's all over the place. Constant in the last 20 years. I read today, uh, the one author called it, uh, we have to be careful of spiritual Trojan horses that sow seeds of destruction whenever they're given the opportunity. Yep. People that come in and just want to disrupt, come in and just want to create problems and tension. Uh, I've been laughing. I've known people at churches 
probably even growing up as a kid, uh, there was always someone in the church that was always going to vote no or yes, depending on where, what, what, if you're having a business meeting or a church conference, if the, if, if it was obvious you were supposed to vote no, they were going to vote yes. And if it was, if it was the obvious was to vote yes, they were going to vote no. And they did it. And they would always say they're doing it because the integrity of the process. Okay. They had no integrity by doing that because they, you know, they, they really believed it was something different, but they wanted just to make sure if the votes were counted. You know, Skip wasn't putting them in his pocket, as he told us earlier. Um, we're going to be we're going to be tempted to compromise, and often the great danger is just from people right in our own flock. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful of who we allow to teach. Right? I'm wrestling with that in some ways now. Right? Who who are we going to have teach groups? Who are we going to have lead groups? How do we properly know that they understand how to rightly divide the word of truth and what happens? There are a number of times, and I'm going to several over the years we have experienced, and we've named them church hoppers, mm -hmm. and that they they're very appealing. They come in and and blend initially, have places of responsibility, and then if you just watch them gradually, they become dissatisfied, and then in that five years, six years, they leave. Because that's just our name that we gave them as church hoppers. Yeah. Well, talking to my friend today on the phone, um, I'm not going to tell the name because two people sit around the table and know who they are, but he said, so and so's back at church, you know. And I was like, oh, okay. you know, it was just kind of funny. It was, uh, he said, they all wanted me to tell you they're back. And I, I just thought that was pretty funny. Uh, they're not talking about you, Skip. Yeah. <laughs> Skip's back. Yeah. This is a church in Illinois. So. Uh, you might have to speak really loud because the mic is. Church has been persecuted for since since these seven churches, and I mean, when you think about it, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, after you know Martin Luther, was less than six hundred years ago. So, in sixteenth century. And they were persecuted back then. I mean, we couldn't even, the, the Roman Catholics, that split, uh, I mean, they, it was in Latin. I mean, it was in, 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 in Sweden, Mother's Tendale, or Tensdale, whatever, William Tensdale, and then part of the state were trying to translate it or, yeah, put it in English. So we've been persecuted ever since. They started these churches. Yeah. As you read this about Pergamum, remember that I think one of the things we need to remember is that we can constantly be tempted to, to compromise our theology, compromise our ethics. We have to stay true to what God's word says. As we read through this, we recognize that uh, the judgment of Jesus is true and thorough. Um Everything, everything we can read through here, his judgment is going to be true. It's going to be thorough. Uh, with Hebrews, sharper than any two-edged sword, right? Rightly divided, bone and marrow. He's, his judgment is true, and it's thorough. We also recognize that um, the church is commended. This church is commended for its faithfulness, and that we must be faithful where we live. Right. Uh, some would say that this this church worshipped a uh, a state, uh, the, the the church worshipped the emperor, right? They were real big in the state and worshiping the emperor. Uh, Caesar is Lord, not Jesus being Lord, but Caesar would be Lord. They would even say that uh, you can follow your Christian convention con convictions, but you can't do it and let that get in the way of your public duty to obey the government. So you can be a Christian, but you can't. That can't be stronger than your desire. Your, need to just follow what the government says well doesn't that sound like today that that we are asked on a regular basis to choose uh the things of government over the things of god and uh this is a two thousand year old problem yeah privatized faith is fine sharing your faith in the public square it's not welcome or in school. We, in, in, 
I mean, yeah, we're addressing Pergamon, but but we can constantly see that this is right. This is not just ears back then to hear, but for us to hear. To faithfully stay with what God's word says and to live it and tell others about it. Where Satan lives is repeated, right, in this passage, the synagogue of Satan or where Satan lives. It said two times. It must be uh, important. We don't want to be characterized as that. We want to be characterized as people who are faithful and following Christ. We want to be faithful in our witness. And the church is condemned by compromise. We see that in verses 14 and 15. We must not compromise our morality. We must not compromise our theology. That's happening in places. What do we read? Uh, there'll be time when men gather around them, just people who tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Just tell me what I want to hear. Just make me feel better. I don't I don't mind what I mean, I'm not saying this is not me quoting him. I'm just saying people say it kind of doesn't matter what God's word says, just say something to make me feel better. So did all these churches, I mean, well, unless we'll talk well, see, some of the churches will say, you're doing this good. This is good. Okay, now here's a problem I have. Now we're going to see a couple of churches that he gives no word of, of encouragement. He, he says nothing good about them, right? They were doing nothing good. But in this church, he's reminding them that they can't compromise. Um, one of Satan's favorite, most effective tools is when we start to compromise. Compromise, it, it never occurs quickly, but as it happens, we don't even notice that things have changed when we start to compromise. It always lowers the original standards of what we once held important. Compromise just lowers those standards. We used to think this was important, but we've lowered the standards. And before long, we don't even realize we've lowered the standards. We, we don't realize it's different. What we used to think was important is not as important anymore. It's seldom offensive because it is perceived as loving. Sometimes our compromise, we, we, we're, we're going something that's theologically not accurate, but we're doing it well because we want to love people and, and we don't perceive it as anything bad because we're trying to love people. Even if that goes against what God's word says, that compromise is dangerous. So we've got to be careful not to compromise. It eventually leads you to accept what you once rejected and even thought was repulsive. So compromise can lead to that. It leads us to accept what we initially were repulsed by, what we initially really wanted to object. But over time, we don't even realize we've compromised and it's become just something that's fine. And that's like in that, I mean, that's what he's kind of explicitly saying in like verses 14 and 15, right? Yeah. He's talking about how members of the church, right, are holding on to these teachings, right, that are that aren't aligned with with the intent and purpose of the church. Right. Yeah. And they they've they've done this. They've placed it right in front of you. Right. And it's a stumbling block, but you think it's good. And and you've you've been into you've believed it. But I mean you just compromised and it's ruined everything. And sixteen <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so Wait, repent. You're wrong. That's yeah, so good. you've done this. Okay, so now, uh, my name's got the exclamation point after, right? So <laughs> repent. Right? He says, right? Repent. Otherwise, right? Here's the scary part. I will come quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen what the Spirit says to the churches. Then he adds some more. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. What's manna? Bread. What is it? Yeah, the, it, it, yeah the, the real word, right? It means what is it? I mean, when it showed up for the Israelites, right? They just looked at it on the ground and they were like, what is it? That's what we'll call it. Well, let's eat it. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> Here's a great idea. I don't know this, but I'll try it. You yeah. know? It's like the first person ever saw a lobster. For me, it just his word, his action, his truth, what he speaks. 
We have to repent. The first step to cure compromise, right, is repent. Right when we recognize it, right when we realize, uh-oh, I'm doing something wrong. I'm going against what God's word says. First thing we do, right? It's not that we're doomed forever. I recognize I'm wrong. I'm going to repent and make things right. First step of that compromise, to repent. And then he, he says, uh, Just to reject those things, um, I will give him a white stone and stone a name described. Um, let me see what I have about that. Um, well, uh, repent, otherwise, I'll come quickly. He warns us to repent. And he warns us of rejection. We don't want to be rejected. We we don't want to reject what he says. We don't want to reject how he's leading us. But then we recognize in 17 that Christ will nourish us. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. Christ is going to nourish us. Jesus, the good shepherd, he's going to feed us the bread of life. I mean, I was just thinking through these things as I read that he's going to take care of us. He's going to nourish us. He's going to receive us. Alan, you might know more than me, but this white stone, it just seemed, I just couldn't find a lot about it, right? I mean, I could find little things about it, but I think the bottom line, it points to the acceptance and victory in Christ as our high priest, that he's our righteousness, that it's a gift that will never be taken away, that he's given us of salvation. I think there are several things like that in this passage. You know, in the church of Smyrna, he who conquers uh, will not be hurt by the second death. Okay, that that's cryptic. It's talking about the end times. That uh, that in the in the last days, he who overcomes, he who endures persecution. Um, then the church of Pergamum, a uh, stone is immovable. A stone is uh, is is solid. I, I don't know that there's uh, my sources didn't say there was significance to the white stone, um, but uh, to to me, it's it's the rock. It's the same thing he told Peter. You are the rock on which I'll build my church. Yeah. Some guys were going all over the place. Maybe it was part of the uh, priest breastplate. You know, maybe it was part of the, you know, the Thurman and the Uman or whatever those words are, you know, in the Old Testament. They just had no idea. But it's, it's again, it's just our confidence and our following Christ, the assurance that we have. It's his gift to us. It's not going to be taken away. He's going to nourish us. He's going to receive us. He's going to acknowledge us, right? He's going to know that, that we're his. And that's yeah, John, I'm reading something here about that. It says, some take this stone to have been the stone on which was written the judge's verdict of acquittal, and white was the color of victory. Uh, and But I'm like John and Alan's even alluded to, I'm seeing a bunch of different stuff uh, uh, about what this stone might be it's just not, not nobody really seems to know so big surprise there's something in revelation that we just yeah, don't really right. understand right <laughs> I, I think i think a new name is important you know uh, yeah. you know you're a child of god you're a christian not a christian or yeah, you're yeah. a follower or you're a Pisces, uh, Fisher, of, you know, you're given a new identity, I think. Yeah. It's written. A lot of new yeah. names were given through the Bible. Gary, I don't think you're wrong as far as a white stone in that later on it became that, you know, the the thing in a in a club or a fraternity that if somebody gets blackballed, it's <laughs> they drop a, a black stone in the box. Yeah. A white stone means you're accepted. A black stone and uh, that it was it was valued as a, a a token that a white stone was pure. Oddly, yeah, it's the black stone that. is pure. Yeah, yeah. The fact that you said that, I mean, I had just read before that that it has been thought of in relation to a voting pebble, an inscribed invitation to a banquet, a victory symbol, an amulet, and all these things that you just said. I mean, people are like, oh, yeah, it could be that. He said you were right, though. I, I did. Yeah. And it's recorded. <laughs> Matter of fact, I think that's going to be the only thing that appears in the uh, when we post this thing. One author said something interesting to me. If 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 Pergamum was if one of their characteristics was just loving uh, government and the emperor more than Christ, 
that we have to be careful of that also, right? There's nothing wrong with loving our country. There is something wrong with worshiping that, right? So we've just got to be careful uh, in that process. So Pergamum, again, we can see, we have ears. Listen, what is it telling us? What do we need to be careful of? As we're praying for our pastor search team, right? What are we praying for? Are we praying for someone that's going to continue to lead us faithfully, theologically, as Alan had. Paige and I had a chance to, quick aside, a commercial break, Paige and I had a chance to be at Brentwood Baptist in Nashville this weekend um, and be a part of their service. And what was interesting about their service is, in God's great timing, we were there on a Sunday where their pastor, who had been there since 1991, preached the first half of the sermon and physically handed the baton that he had been given by the previous pastor in 1991. He handed him a baton and to the new pastor who was taking over, and that new pastor preached the second half of the sermon. It was a beautiful transition. And it doesn't surprise anyone that's around here, but um, I was talking to their executive pastor and told him my pastor was Alan Jackson. you got to tell, so Jay was the name of the new pastor. you got to tell, he talks about Alan all the time. Tell Jay, Alan's your pastor. And uh, he thanked, thanked, wanted me to thank Alan, tell him hi, and thank him for just being a mentor for so long in his life. Faithful teaching, faithful instruction, not just with students that our Alan Jackson has done, but even with us as a church. So as we pray, even in these, we have ears to listen, be praying that God is going to continue. We know he will, right? But to bring us someone who's going to faithfully lead us in these areas, theologically strong, ethically strong, not compromise in these ways, but stand on God's word and lead us in his truth. So now we're to the Jezebel church, all right? Uh, many commentaries I read today, it, it said Jezebel is a female name, but men can act like Jezebels too. So I just thought I would throw that out there. Uh, uh, well, Jezebel was uh, a woman of the night. Well, not, uh, we'll talk about what she She, she definitely ran uh, the throne uh, from a wimpy king for a while and led right, in the book of Kings, right, led in, a, in the wrong way, right, away from God yeah, and everything that happened. So uh, will somebody read this for us? Well, That's, it's a, well, it's a long one, right? Okay. Uh, Thyatira. Okay. Uh, these are words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. This is NIV. So, okay. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads by sorry. By her teaching, she misleads my servants in the sexual immorality and eating the food sacrificed to Titus. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her, of their, of her ways. I will strike her children dead, and all, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold onto what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as, I, just as I have received authority from my father, just as I received authority from my father, I also give that one the morning star. And whoever has ears, let them hear. What the Spirit says to the churches. Yeah. The main idea for this 
The church that tolerates false teachings and corrupt morality will receive judgment. While those who hold fast to the true gospel will receive their ultimate reward. This is the longest of the of the church letters, right? I think maybe the most difficult, as I'm just kind of reading through it. Jezebel, uh, famous, infamous. I don't know what words you want to use right there, right? But uh, one, one thing I read was funny. It said she was probably the most wicked queen in Israel's history. And I was just, I thought probably was kind of a funny word there. Like uh, uh, she was the power behind the throne. She led King Ahab to uh, lead the nation to worship false gods, worship pagan gods, uh, kill God's prophets, uh, kill a man, uh, Naboth with a vineyard. If you, if you remember the story just to, of the queen. Thyatira was a military outpost 40 miles south uh, east of Pergamos. By worldly views, it was insignificant, but not so with Jesus. A reminder for us that all churches are important, no matter how big, no matter how small, no matter what you think your influence is or no influence is, whether you think you're well-known or hardly known, all churches are important in communicating the truth of God's word. The idea that as we read this, that Jesus wants you to be pure where you're planted. He wants you to honor him wherever you call your church home. He wants us to honor him. And to, for where they live, the title, when he says, uh, thus says the son of God in the first verse, a reminder for them, a complete contrast to a group that might might um, follow um, Apollos, the son of Zeus, that they might worship that God. But he's like, no, no, it's the son of God, the God that we're following. Remember a couple of weeks ago on our mission Sunday when the, uh, um, I don't remember her name and I apologize for that, but she was from Japan and she mentioned that there were somewhere around 8 million gods in Japan. Anything can be a God. A rock can be a God. This can be a God. So when you say God loves you, it really means nothing to them. David, you were mentioning, even in your culture, yes. you know, that, that, that's similar to the same same thing. And the, the, the need to go back to the creator God, the God that created the universe, God and his son Jesus, just to mention those things of love. If we hold on to false teachings and corrupt morality, we're going to receive a reward. We see that Christ is characterized um, by penetrating decisive judgment. Eyes like fiery flames, maybe the omniscience, the, the ability for him to see everything, recognize everything. Um, our actions, our thoughts, our emotions. He sees everything. Um, his judgment is powerful. This area known for their bronze work. They were famous for their bronze work, and it was just great, but it doesn't even compare to the work of the Son of God. He commends for their faithful work. We need to do good works for Jesus. We need to grow in our faith and our good works for Jesus. But then he moves, um, he moves to address the serious spiritual sickness. That's part of the health of this body. Verse 20. Hey, John. Yes, sir. Um, you mentioned the trade guilds and the bronze workers. Um, one of the writers that I read said that we should take note that in um, Thyatira, there was a, a constant uh, pressure to adopt practices in business that were the ways of the world and not the ways of Christ. Hmm. That the sexual immorality, the spiritual infidelity, that in some ways those are related to the same pressure that everybody feels in today's world. How, how are you going to do business? How are you going to conduct your business? And to be, um, disrespectful to the trade guilds in Thyatira was economic suicide. It, it, that's how people made their living. But the way they did business um, was part of what's at issue here. Yeah, thanks, Alan. We, we have this idea of excessive tolerance in this area. Um, 
I read today four areas of danger a church must recognize and confront them immediately when they see them. Or else, as we read in another church, it's going to lead to compromise, right? So we need to address these immediately. Guard against a personality problem. Jezebel, it, they believe it's a descriptive title. It may, might not be this person's actual name, but it is an actual person. They might have just used Jezebel so everybody understood, you know, what they were talking about. If someone says the name Tiger, most of us know it's Tiger Woods as a golfer. We don't need any more than that. But Jezebel put a clear picture in their mind mm. Good of stuff. what they were talking about. Yeah, I mean, it would be today somebody, you know, nobody names their child Judas. <laughs> um, you know, there's just they're just names that bring back uh, and, and they were. You know, John was all in the Old Testament. So for him to, Jezebel was a, a, a representative symbol for sure. So we guard against this personality problem. If we, if we start to recognize that, someone who's going to lead us in ways that um, completely go against what God wants us to do, promising maybe freedom, but recognizing that it's not going to lead to freedom. It's just going to lead to slavery. It's going to lead to, to holding on. Uh, we've got to guard against that. Guard against an authority problem. It says here a couple of times, who called her a prophet? She did, right? She gave herself this title. It wasn't a prophet of God. She gave herself this title. Uh, we don't we want to have authority problems. We want we don't want to have the, theological problems. Obviously, we want to guard against theological problems. A false prophet will mix truth with lies. Obviously, truth matters. We start to compromise. We start to mix these things. At some point, it just all gets lost. Truth matters. God's words matter. We've got to stand on that no matter what. We've got to guard against these things. And we've got a guard against a morality problem. Do you see the play on words that he does at the end of the letter to Thyatira? He says, if you do these things, you're going to rule the governments. You're going to yeah. rule the commerce. You're going to rule the, the trades. You're going to, you're going to be in charge of business. You, if you do these things, you will, you will rule them with a rod of iron. When earthen pots are broken in pieces as I have received authority from my father, I will give him the morning star. He owes an ear. Let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. He he almost flips it and said, you in the in the end days, you're you're going to be the ones ruling the business. Yeah. But, um, I'm glad the world doesn't have problems with uh, sexual immorality or participating in pagan idolatry like they, this church had. Again, it's just a reminder. Why is this letter for us? What do we need to learn from it, right? What do we need to guard against? How do we need to follow God in every aspect of our life? Right. Alan mentioned about the trade cultures. When uh, I read this, when the church looks like the world, we have a sick church. When the church plays with the world, we have an unfaithful church. We've got to stand true to what God's word says. If the church of Ephesus acted, lacked love, the church in Thyatira lacked truth. Church has to have both, right? Truth and love. Christ corrects us with loving discipline. We see that Christ challenges us with future problems. We've heard the name Adrian Rogers before. I found this quote funny today. Not, not funny. Uh, it's, like, it's not like it's a big comedy routine from Adrian Rogers. But uh, some may preach the gospel of Jesus better, but no one can preach a better gospel. Right? He was just saying that Alan preaches better than I do. Right? But we both are going to preach the same gospel, and that gospel is great. Got it. Faithfully stand on what God's word says and his truth. We can't be, we can't be tempted to go against those things and just to have excessive tolerance. We've got to guard against those things. And when we see them, we've got to immediately put a stop to them. We're moving along pretty good. Three to go. 
15 minutes, okay? All right, you can do it. Hang with us, these are good. The letter to Sardis. Write to the angel of the church in Sardis. Thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthened. What remains is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you're not alert, I will come like a thief, and you have no idea at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. In the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Let anyone who has ears to listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The idea for this church, Sardis, spiritual lethargy and compromise will bring destruction to a church. But Christ is faithful to graciously call those who hear back to faithfulness and life. We don't want to be spiritually lethargic. We want to have life. We want to be known for a church that has life. Um, a guy named Tom Rainer um, had a, a, an autopsy of a deceased church. Okay? And he gave these characteristics of what a deceased church looked like. They treat the past as the hero. They refuse to adapt to the needs of the present community. They move the focus of their budget inward, not outward. They allow the Great Commission to become the Great Omission. They let the church become preference driven out of selfishness and personal agendas. They see the tenure of the pastors decreasing. They're failing to have regular corporate prayer. They have no clear purpose or vision. And they begin to obsess over facilities. The church we were at Sunday, the pastor who's retiring, his name is Mike Glenn. He stood up and the very first thing he said is, I promise this is my last message. You know, I guess they'd been there this long. They just kind of got the idea because everybody laughed. He said, so I wrote a couple of letters, wrote some letters this week. In that letter, uh, Paige can help me maybe what he said. Basically, what he said is, I told some of you that you don't serve and that you don't give. So it's time for you to find another place to go to church because all you're doing is taking up parking spaces. And Paige started clapping. She thought that was awesome. <laughs> but it was silent. And they said, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. But you had to wonder how many people were sitting there going, uh-oh, I didn't check the mail yesterday. Did I get a letter from him? They started wondering what's happening. We don't want to be known as that kind of church, right? We want to be known. If you come here by the office during the week, I believe we're a culture. We have fun, right? We get a lot of work done. We have fun. I think there's a lot of life. I want us to be a church that has that life, right? I'm not saying we don't, but we don't want to be just known as a dead church. 30 miles southeast of Thyatira, Sardis. One, one quick thing. Hey, John. Yeah. One of the historical things about Sardis is that it was built on a hill that was impenetrable. It had 1,500-foot sheer cliffs on every side of it. It, it would take hardly um, anything to defend it. And yet it had been conquered numerous times simply because of lack of vigilance. And part of the message to the church is that you die if you lack vigilance. Yeah. Charles Swindoll described this church as a morgue with a steeple. Uh, I was reading some old guys today, right? Sorry to defend anybody. But sorry, I didn't mean to say it that way. Vance Havner, sorry. <laughs> Thanks for laughing, Nicole. I appreciate it. Vance Havner says, uh, she had it all in the show window, but nothing in stock. <laughs> Looks can be deceiving, right? 
they may have been trying to blend in with the culture so much that they just forgot to get along and live with the message of Christ. There was no word of commendation or congratulations here. Jesus fully knows the condition of this church and what he sees makes it a serious condition. He's seriously concerned about what he sees in this church. So he gives him some commands in verses two and three. Be alert, strengthened for what remains, which is about to die. For I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it, repent. If you're not alert, I will come like a thief in the night. He's friend. Be alert. Command one, strengthen what remains. Remember what you've received and heard. Keep it and repent. It's not too late, right? You're, 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 you might be dying, but like we can we can change this. We can resurrect it. We can have this. Like repent, be alert, strengthen. Christ corrects those who are dying but not yet dead. Christ commands those who are holy and worthy of his praise. Verse 4. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes. Now, the church didn't get commended, but there are a few people there, right? There are a few people there that have not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. Christ confesses those who have his righteousness that are written in the book of life, five and six, in the same way. The one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and before his angels. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Chuck Swindoll, a dead church lacks evangelistic and missionary zeal. Turned inward on their own needs, preferences, and comfort, unhealthy churches give half-hearted attention to the conversion of the lost. In contrast, living churches devote time, resources, and energy to both local evangelism and worldwide mission. A church of life be a church that's ready, be a church that's committed to reach our community and our world. We're committed to do that. We want to be a church that has life. The Church of Philadelphia, a great commission church is what one author called it. Somebody read about Philadelphia for us. I'll read it. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works because I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have that little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I, I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. For one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of the heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What do you think about this church? He didn't criticize them, did he? Didn't criticize. Though this church may be little, she may be little, uh, of little account maybe about earthly standards the church remains faithful to the Savior remains faithful to the gospel to the great commission and will be rewarded by God passionate 
Churches can be mighty in their witness, even if some people might just think they're small and weak. It has nothing to do with size. Big churches can have influence, but it doesn't mean that small churches can't, right, and reach people for Christ. Who we are on the inside matters more to God than what we look like on the outside. I believe that. First Samuel 16, I mean, even we go back to the Old Testament. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at our heart. Though so you're small, you're mighty. It says this about this church. They say Jesus is the holy one. He's the true one. He's the sovereign one. A word that many people say we just should reserve for God is awesome. They're faithful to the gospel. Verse 8, they're persistent in the work of Christ. They're true to the name of Jesus. They're energized by the prospect of evangelism and missions. They're just energized by these things. They're encouraged. Um, I mean, verse 9 Um Note this, Mike says, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying. I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you. I'm just thinking, like, those people who have... Uh, every now and then, like, there'll be somebody who thinks it's silly that you're following Christ. Don't we wish that, that they would just have to bow at our feet and know that God loves us, right? I mean, just that idea that I'm going to take these people, right? They're lying, but I'm going to show them that I'm the true God. I'm going to show them who I am. They're uh, maybe encouraged by the hope of that vindication. They're staying true to the gospel. They're staying true to what God's word says. They know that Jesus will protect them, that Jesus is going to come soon, so stay strong. And that Jesus will honor those people, this church, and us by giving us a new home and a new name. So we just listen to what he says about this church. Again, pray that this is what God wants out of us. To be faithful and true. You know, John, the other thing that jumps out at me here is that he promises protection for this church mm -hmm. and all the bad things that are coming. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Thanks, yeah. Jim. Yeah. yeah. Be encouraged. I'm going to protect you. Yeah. He says, I will also keep you from the hour of that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. He says, but I will protect you. Yeah. That's great. He loves this church. Yeah, he does. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe he's talking about us. Yeah. Again, we have ears to hear, right? So let's listen. What happened to the church in Philadelphia? I mean, you know, when we started through this, it was all seven of these churches are no longer existent. So does anybody know? Earthquake hit in 17 AD. Earthquake destroyed that area. Is that what you're saying, Skip? Mm -hmm. But the church, they, a lot of the Christians in the church, they moved outside of the city because they were afraid of uh, the uh, after, what is after yeah. Okay. Okay, it's, it's, it's uh, ringing seven. But this is the church that most people know about, Laodicea. I read today, this is the church that nauseates God. <laughs> Churches that lose sight of their dependence on Christ for all things are deceived and useless. But Jesus graciously promises healing to all who rely on him for their every need. The church makes Christ ill, but they are unaware of their true spiritual status. It's another church with no word of commendation. Their condition is critical, but not terminal. 
Christ as a spiritual medicine and remedies for the healing if they will listen and act on his counsel. Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, thus says the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you were lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm neither hot or cold. Uh, for you say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you're wretched, poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold or fine in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed and are shame and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Christ is characterized by dependability. We can trust what God's word says. We can trust who he is. Wonder how a church could even get in this condition? I think it's pretty easy. We see a lot of these things when compromise comes in, or when we when we don't hold theologically true to what he says, or when we let our ethics just get all away from God's word. Jesus knows what we're doing. Jesus knows um, who we think we are, but then he says you're Wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. Christ brings counsel to us and we're not following him when we're deficient in what we're doing. We need his riches. We need to understand his righteousness. If we listen to what he says, right, he has a, a way to, to bring healing in our life. Maybe a remedy for what's happening in our life to help us. And he will always come in. He's always there for us. And allows us to reign with him when we trust him and follow him. I feel like I'm just flying through this church, but can you see maybe some ways of why we have this church written just some for us? Church, you really don't want to be. It's clearly a church that is selfish uh, in its own view of itself mm. and feels that they don't need God. Yeah. I say a little bit even deeper than that. I say it is a church that has no feeling for God one way or the other. I mean, they just become so complacent with everything else that's going on that, I mean, they don't even give mind to the things of God anymore. Like that was the word I was looking for. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I know it's out there. <laughs> Obviously, that's not where we want to be, right? right. So we, we, we recognize these churches. This is where they are. I like that it, it's it's critical, but it's not terminal. We listen to what God's word says. We react to what God's word says. We listen to what he says. All of these churches that we've looked at, the the, uh, the chart that Alan gave us last week, the complaint of Ephesus, no first love, no complaints in Smyrna, the complaint of Pergamos, tolerance of Baalism, idolatry and immorality, Thyatira, they were tolerance of Jezebel, idolatry and immorality, Sardis, dead works, Philadelphia, little strength, right? But powerful, it might seem weak. Uh, Laodicea, a lukewarm experience, spiritually poor, blind, naked. Verse 20 here. I mean, how many times it says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come into him. Uh, how many times have you heard this in regard to a call to salvation? Because it's almost like a part of every evangelical message out there. 
But when you read it in the context of this passage, it's it's not so much a call to salvation as it is a call to repentance and hope uh, that even if this is your church, there is an opportunity to turn that around. Jesus is there waiting for this to happen. If you can shrug off your indifference, if you can all of a sudden regain uh, your your first love and then uh, uh, respond to him in repentance again. He's always there for us. Right. Absolutely. I also like that he doesn't force him, him his way in. He stands at the door and knocks. If you answer, you know, but he's, he's, there is that thing of he's going to ask, but it's your choice. One writer in a turn of phrase, he said, he doesn't say, behold, I stand at the door and pick the lock. <laughs> <laughs> You, you've got to use that Sunday, right? You're using that Sunday, right? So uh, I may need to. That. Yeah. So we fly through some churches, right? But whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. So take tonight, maybe from one of these, maybe from a lot of these. Uh, I, I, it was just, I just felt convicted even during the middle. I hadn't thought of it all day, but Okay, I need to be praying for our pastor search team, right? That that the Alan knows we we talk about these things all the time. So it's not like we're, you know, just get out of here, you know, we don't need you anymore. It's not that at all. It's like, okay, God, the per, the man that you have to lead us for the next phase of the life of Dunwoody Baptist Church, let's let's be praying that we don't we characterize the good things that they were doing. But if there's any of those, but this is what I have against you, or this is what I see you doing, that we quickly, quickly remedy those things. We're following Christ. We're standing true on his word and his truth in everything that we have. So thank you all. Great. It's fun to teach with Alan and Gary, right? This is a lot of fun. So uh, three-headed monster. That's good. So we'll get to that later in Revelation. We know who they are now. (laughs) Hey, let me pray for us as we go. We do love you, God, and we thank you. I thank you for your word and your truth. I thank you that it still speaks to us. I thank you that um, we just see, even in this, that that you're serious about what you want us to do in loving you and following you and sharing your love and your life and your salvation with others. That you don't want us to be a place that's just complacent, that's just indifferent. That's just letting people come in and just take us away from what your word and your truth says. Help us not be a church of compromise. Help us be a church that just loves you. Help us be a church that even when we see those areas that we're not following you right, that we just repent, that we turn, and that we give everything we have just to live faithfully to your truth. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for always being there for us. Even when we're not doing the right thing, we can just turn and you're right there ready to accept us and love us. And I praise you and thank you for that because I do love you and I thank you for loving us always. In your name, Jesus, we pray it all. Jesus, amen. Amen.